What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. It's good to have you with us. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm here. I'm Dean, joined by my co-partner, partner in crime. What's up? Man. What's up, friends? What's up, everybody? Zach, how you doing today? Good. It's a beautiful day. The sunshine is shining bright and uh, feeling good. Excited about this week's episode. Yes. It's like, it's like officially summer now. Right? Oh yeah! In this, in this it is punctiliar time and space moment where we've had the solstice just yesterday, and we're ready. We're into summer, and yeah, we have. We're kind of kicking off. Not that we do like summer series, but we're kicking off the summer of the podcast with with a really stellar episode. Yes, tell tell me why we should listen to this week's episode, Dina. Okay, this one you're going to want to dive in. We sat down with uh, our friend Daniel McQueen, and Dan is just like a captivating person. He has an incredible story and you're definitely going to want to check it out. He's a survivor of two emergency brain surgeries. Uh, he's someone who had to relearn how to walk, talk and smile all over again. Um, and now on this side of those traumatic and literally life changing events, he talks about resilience. He talks about incremental improvements that compound over time um, and just how his story of learning to do these things that we all take for granted uh, all over again, that you can just implement them into your lives and into your life and be better than you were yesterday, which is like such a beautiful message. Yeah, we talk a lot on this podcast about things are impossible until they aren't. Mm -hmm. You know, someone in, in Dan's position that went through what he went through a lot of people would say what he did was impossible, but yes. he proved it wrong by stacking, you know, small changes day after day, becoming the person that he is today and overcoming odds of what doctor told doctors told him he could be, what society told him he could be. And uh, I don't think there's any stopping this guy. Yeah, it's so great. It's He's a really fun person to listen to. He's got like so many little takeaway, like, kind of sayings and phrases that just stick with you. The one that really, really uh, has stuck with me since we had this conversation with him was chop wood, carry water. Like just yeah, get chop, to work. Chop wood, carry water. Get to work, do the action, do the thing that's required. He passes on these ideas of like, you know, action oriented kind of like life hacks that you can implement into your day to day to just help you thrive as a person, as a coach, as a mentor. If you're part of a team, you can elevate your team. Like it's just it's applicable to every single one of us from an athletic standpoint, from a business standpoint, from just like a general health and wellness and daily improvement. Um, and it comes from a guy who like literally walks the walk. Like he showed up and he, he defied all of the odds to, to be here today and to be sharing his story. So we're really honored and privileged to be able to, um, to speak with him and also share his story with all of you. So we know you are going to love Dan. All right, before we get into this week's episode, hear from this week's sponsors. Well, first impressions matter. There are no two ways around it. And what's the first thing that someone notices about you? In most cases, it's your face and more importantly, your skin. If you aren't already, it's time to put your best face forward. And how do you do that? By adding a skincare routine, of course. And you know what? It's not hard. You just don't have the right tools until now. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging, Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare and is here to save the day. And you, friends, can use our exclusive code, MOREGOOD, 
at calderalab.com to enjoy 20% off their best products. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup, a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Now listen, I've been doing this, Zach's been doing this, we've been on it, on the regimen for you know a number of weeks now, and I absolutely love it. Not only does it feel good to kind of like just do something nice for yourself and cleanse your face and put on the, the cream, um, it really is improving the look of my skin. Like it's visibly noticeable. It's not just one of those things where you're like, ah, it feels nice and I know that it's good for me, but I don't really notice. It's visibly noticeable. The The fine lines uh, on my forehead, I, I have a very expressive forehead, seem to be like lessening and um, yeah, I just feel like I have this more youthful glow uh, about myself, okay, if I can say so. Um, the regimen is amazing, okay? So inside the bundle, you'll get all your skincare dream team. The clean slate, the base layer, and the good. The clean slate starts and ends your day. It's the face wash that leaves all skin types feeling refreshed. The base layer is your daily moisturizer that hydrates your skin, and it absorbs fast, leaving you with a matte finish so you can start your day confidently. I love this one. I love the base layer. And the good is not just a great name for the product. The good is your go-to at night before bed, clinically proven multifunctional serum that helps your skin look tighter and smoother, as well as it helps reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. In every drop of this serum, there are 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. You want to know what that means? Well, I don't really know. But it sounds good, right? 3.4 million things on your face making you look younger, healthier, more vivacious. What could go wrong? And then, of course, they have this eye serum called the Icon, which is, again, another great name. And you can put it right on your eyes and kind of the side of your eyes, get rid of those crow's feet, fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness, right? If you're up, up late with the kids or up early to get a workout in, you want to be looking your best. Caldera Lab is here, made with top-tier ingredients. It's a great addition to your daily routine Get after it, friends. It takes less than a few minutes in the morning at night. It is good. It's good to do things for yourself. Self-care is where it's at. Gentlemen, it's 2023. If you don't have a skincare routine, let's get on it. We're here to help get 20% off with our code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com. That's 20% off. An amazing deal at calderalab.com by using our code MOREGOOD. Jump into skin and first impression royalty with Caldera Lab. Shout out to them. We love them. This episode is also brought to you by Athletic Greens. We've been on that AG1 train for a while now, and I got to tell you, it is the best. We love it. We get up in the morning, have our little ritual, the wake and shake, fill up the water bottle, put the scoop of AG1 in there, give it a shake, drink it down. It's the first thing into my system every day, and it just helps me to feel so good. It's got 75 high quality ingredients, vitamins, minerals, probiotic, prebiotic, adaptogens. It's going to help with your stress. It's going to get you feeling good. It's all of those things are working together to help you feel like your healthiest self. And really that's the foundation of nutrition. And it is made so simple by Athletic Greens AG1. It promotes gut health. It supports your immunity. It boosts your energy. It helps with recovery. If you're in the gym, if you're taking runs, if you're in the pool, swimming laps, you got to get on that AG1 to support your healthy, busy lifestyle. Okay. 
You got to get on it. Uh, and we can help you out. You go to athleticgreens.com slash more good. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash more good. And you get hooked up with five free travel packs, which are super handy to have. And a year's supply of immune supporting vitamin D, which is so good. So get on it. You're going to love it. It's recommended by top experts and health performers. All of these people just get after it. You get your supply of vitamin D3 and K and your five travel packs when you sign up with athleticgreens.com slash more good. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash more good. Shout out to them. Thank you for being an amazing company that makes an amazing product that makes us all feel so good. All right, friends. On to this week's episode. All right, all right. Welcome back to another week of A Little More Good. I am very excited, as always, for this conversation. We're sitting down with a new friend, Dan McQueen, introduced to us from an old friend, Justin York. So shout out to Justin if you're tuning in. Thank you for the for the intro. And welcome to the pod, Dan. Thank you so much, boys. Appreciate it. Love it to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you with us, man. All right, so I've been I've been tuning into your story, kind of following what you've been sharing, and and firstly, I just want to say it's it's deeply inspiring. I think, um, you know, we all have various degrees of of struggle or or things that come into our life that aren't planned that can be hard to overcome, and I think hearing your story one shifted my own perspective on, on what's possible and inspired just a deeper dive into into resilience and i think you're you're shining a light on on possibility and strength and you know can give hope to to a lot of people so thank you for for doing what you're doing and and we're excited today to kind of dive into into your story how you got here and uh where you're going well, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to see both you guys and to be in person is quite nice. I haven't done one of these in a while, so it's kind of cool to do that. Yeah. Uh, that's very kind of you to say. I think the story is, uh, I think it's a good story, but I would. It's mine, wouldn't I? So I have to kind of <laughs> think that way. Right? So if it wasn't a good story, I wouldn't be so hard-pressed on sharing it. But uh, yeah, so this this all happened back in jolly old London, in London, England. I moved there after a master's in Sweden. There was a healthy and active guy, 20 years old, living there. Started having these headaches that were getting horrible, and they got worse after a few weeks. I was taking painkillers like candy for them as my head was pounding. Uh, I went to the A&E, which is accident and emergency in the UK, twice. They thought it was vertigo. They sent me home. You know, But they told me on the way out on the second visit, like, look, if the headaches continue, you can always get your eyes checked in an optometrist. And I said, okay, cool. Headaches persisted. like We're talking like blinding headaches. I was on the tube one day. My vision went black, like I was blind Whoa. for like three minutes. And I was like, oh, this is kind of effed up. Like, um, So I went to get the optometrist appointment the next day. He went midway through the exam. He stops the exam and he, and he goes in the back room, comes back with a sealed envelope. He goes, here, here, here. take this to Moorfields Hospital. Do not go home. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Like, hmm. Go to Moorfields Hospital directly. I'm like, okay, cool. I didn't do that. I went home first to grab a Jack Reacher book by Lee Childs. I figured... Be in a bloody hospital for the rest of the day. I want to read something, and then I figured, well, I should get a phone charger for the folks. And I figured, well, I may as well get a bite to eat. And then I end up going to Morfield's Hospital. They ran the same test there, then escalated me to Charing Cross Hospital. Turns out I had a dangerous buildup of pressure in my brain caused from a non cancerous system I had. 
Turns out I required emergency brain surgery tomorrow. Turns out my world's about to change altogether. So after some frantic back and forth with my mom and dad, uh, I sent the last text message, which is something I use in my presentation. It goes, I'll see you soon, mom. I think I'll have a new haircut next time I see you. And that message is like, it's acting like I'm coy and I'm cool with this. Like, dude, I'm breaking it. Like, I'm terrified. This could be the last message to write before it's curtains on me. But let's not face this like a whimpering punk, but let's go with a bit of pizzazz. If this is right at my funeral, I don't want them to be like, damn, went out with like a little punk. Like, <laughs> I kind of went out like I wanted to go out, you know? Like, reading this message is like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but like, it's masking a lot of fear, man. I was terrified. But like, mm-hmm. it doesn't read like that. My brother called me. I called my brother too before I went to surgery. Yeah, man, you were super chill about the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, I didn't want to let it show that I was scared because this is your last memory of your brother. Like, this could be the last memory of your brother. Like, don't let it be some guy who's like whimpering into the night. Like, oh, wow, the surgery, I'm terrified. Like, I'm not that kind of guy and I'm trying not to live that way at least. At least I'd like to think I'm not that kind of guy. I might be that guy, but who knows? So anyways, I went into the emergency surgery. Mom was in the air flying to London on June 21st, 2014 when I was on the operating table. Something went wrong and I had a massive bleed in the brain, a brain hemorrhage. They think the cyst burst when they operated. My mom lands and finds I'm in critical condition. I was in a coma for four weeks. I was in and out of consciousness for months after that. Things were pretty dicey, touch and go. Uh, when I was in a coma, they had to keep my core temperature down with ice blankets because the brain hemorrhage had damaged parts of the brain that regulate your, your heart rate, uh, essential body systems. I was all out of whack. So these ice blankets above and below me to keep my core temperature down. This led to violent shivering. Like my family says it was horrible to watch. I was cold for months after the hospital. It was insane. I had a feeding tube in my nose that I'd constantly rip out because I don't know, I didn't like the stuff in my nose. And they put I did it like three, four times. Every time I rip it out, they put had to put it down, but they had to x-ray you before they could feed you because they weren't sure if it was in your lungs or your stomach. So then they put mittens on my hands. So I couldn't do it. And then I'd, I'd work my way on the, the hand mitts for a little while. Like days, and then I'd get them free, and then I'd rip it out. <laughs> they were so unhappy with me, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> I lost a ton of weight, and you know, by the end of the day, I was learning how to walk, talk, and smile again. I woke up in the hospital with my mom, dad, and brother around the table, around the bed. Sorry. And I trying to speak, but I can't talk because I had a tracheotomy to breathe in the coma. And I couldn't talk for a few days, a few weeks, actually. And I point at my brother, like, I'm trying to talk, I can't talk, I go, give me a pen and paper. And I write down, like, get me out of here. And I show it to him, and I point, I go, yeah, man, make it happen. Get me out of here. I don't know why, like, what good I thought that was going to do, but I just thought, this looks bad. I'm in UK, London, like, I'm not sure this is covered, like, this could be expensive, but let's get out of here while we can. The one eye that's buggered up, I can't walk, I can't talk, like, yeah, bud, you're not going anywhere. So this flattened me, man. Like it flattened me. I can only imagine how bad it was for my folks though to see me in like the ice blankets and then in the coma. You know, I was in and out of consciousness for months after this. And like I woke up, what happened? What happened? I'm being told like, hey, Dan, you had a brain hemorrhage. You're in London. Uh, you put a shunt in your brain to help drain the fluid from your brain. Right now you can't walk, talk. They didn't tell me I couldn't smile, but I couldn't. My face was all frozen at an angle. I couldn't figure out how to smile. I'd look in a mirror to smile, which is like a wild premise, right? Mm-hmm. But it was tough, man. And I was like in that hospital in Charing Cross, and it took me 
45 minutes to get in the wheelchair the first time, then 40, then 35, then 30, then, you know, I'm working my bag off here, man. Like, I can't do this because it's, it's tough. And I always prided myself as someone growing up who never liked to show that I tried hard. I, I tried hard, but I would be like a subtle try hard. Like, this just comes natural and easy to me. But like, this was like, I can't get in this wheelchair. This is impossible. This is difficult. This is strenuous. And then 35 minutes and then 30 and then 25 and then 20. And then, you know, you're in the hospital and like you've got nurse, the, the, the doctors come around all the time and like train doctors in training, they come by and like tell them this guy had this case happen to him and they'd have a whole classroom of people. I remember one time I was like peeing in the bottle that they give you. And like the classroom comes by and mid, mid pee. And I'm like, this guy had a brain hemorrhage and then I, all the kids are like, they're like, Oh my goodness. And what happened? And I'm like, I'm peeing. And then the Mendoza, my, my, my neurosurgeon just looks down and sees me peeing in the bottle. He goes, gives me this scuffed look. I'm like, sorry, man. Like you caught me mid pee. Like, <laughs> um, but like, it was just like, it's a wild environment in the hospital. Like you are, I remember telling my friend Andrew who came to visit me, like, dude, this is a wild place at night. Like the ICU is a wild place at night. Like people are screaming and crying and they can't control their emotions. And, I had a whole, I don't know, probably 20, 30 pills I had to take at night. And one day I said, you know what? I'm not taking these bloody pills. I've had enough of these pills. Like, this is bullshit. I don't need this stuff. I stopped taking them. And I hid them in my bed. And this, I wake up to this nurse shaking me like, you didn't take your pills. You didn't take your pills. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. And then some other emergency came off. And she, she had to go attend to that. And I was escaped that wrath, unfortunately. The night nurse didn't get me there. But... Uh, it's a wild place at night, man. There was this one guy in the in the ICU. I called him. Uh, he was a bigger fella, and had a whole entourage there. And he was like spending time there because I guess like they needed to like look after him because he had some heart condition or something. And I called him. Let's not work, let's not worry about. It. I called him, <laughs> but um, I'm trying not to get canceled here. Uh, but you know he'd be screaming and crying in the nighttime like this is. And he had like an whole entourage, like three guys with him, like looking after him. And like he must be some dude from. Who knows where he's got some money to, to burn in this, but like it's a wild experience, man. We were thinking like, you know, you're like you immediately go like, woe's me, woe's me, but you're like, dude, lock it up. Like you've 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 lived through this experience. Like it's not hasn't killed you. It's what you think about it now. So the through line of my talk that I always talk about is it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. And mm-hmm. it's a stoic through line from Epictetus. And it's it's come to my attention now that's what I kind of lived in this experience. Like, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. What you think about it. I had friends come visit me in the hospital, and I'd always be like, Dan, it's never a chore to come visit you. You're always pretty chipper and upbeat. I've always been a positive guy, never negative. But I realized it's what you think about it that matters because the brain injury didn't kill you. It came pretty close, but it didn't kill you. And, like, now you're learning how to walk, talk, and smile again. So, like, let's just get to work on that. And work's what I call... I call work chop wood, carry water. It's like, I got this now. I didn't have this back in the day, but I, you know, focus on what you can control. Like, well, I can get in the wheelchair, like maybe a bit faster than last time. So let's try and do that. So chop wood, carry water. I can maybe, um, you know, do an extra exercise in the leg machine and get that going. And just what I can control, what I can focus on, what I can do. And it's arduous work that like just bang your head through the door and like eventually it'll break or you'll die and (laughs) it broke so i'm pretty stoked on that but i've been uh Hmm. moved back to vancouver last uh last autumn last autumn i think 
and I'm back in Vancouver now and living life here, man. Right. So that's a bit of a Cole's Nose version of what happened. There's been a few hiccups in between. I'm sure we'll touch on that later on, but yeah. I mean, it's an incredible story of of like demonstrating a number of things. Really, like how one is like how your life can literally change in an instant. Yeah. Right. Like most of us would say, oh, like having having these headaches. Like yeah, you know, dehydration or is there something going on? Like to pull a neck like neck muscle, like tension, stress, with external factors, and you know, of course you know, the hypochondriac within us is always like, well, maybe it's something bigger, maybe it's something worse. But then, you know, we often downplay that and, you know, most of the time it's not something big. But in your case, like, it was. And like you say, you know, grab these things. I might be at the hospital for a while. It's always a lengthy stay and, you know, kind of it's the the irritation of I'm going to have to go and sit in, you know, emergency for however many hours. Yeah, yeah, not... That's gonna be brain surgery and months, right? Yeah. Like of of hard work, like you say, r- the recovery process, and so like there's that lesson of how, you know, taking taking every day for granted and realizing like you know waking up in the morning is a gift every day, yeah, and and not not taking these things for granted, and then also like the the power of family and friends and like the meaningful connections that we have that can help us, right? And can help us to become rise to the version of ourselves that we want to be. And I mean, there's so there's so much, so much that we can dig into. Even just like your mindset, like how you how you got into that is is, I think all, all it's just kind of mind blowing when you hear your story and then see you here sitting with us today. I'm like, that's you know, one part miracle, a lot of parts of just like sheer will and determination to to get back to to a life that you're creating for yourself. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, a lot of stubbornness in my vibe and. A lot of, you don't think I can do this? Okay, watch me. And then it's like every time it's like levels up. And every time a setback happens in my life now, it's kind of like, I guess I'm rising up to the occasion. Yeah. I, mean, I literally think like I lost my job this past summer working from Hootsuite, uh, part of the let go of restructuring they did there. 400 people lost their job when I was on the wrong side of a spreadsheet. So I got let go, which is like nine and a half years. Unfortunate. Honestly, I just like my brother messed me. as you know what, Dan, knowing you, you've been through a lot of bad stuff. Sure, this is a minor speed bump for you. And I'm like, you know what? Honestly, that moment that that happened, I was like, get some leveling up. Like, I made the decision that that afternoon after a boozy lunch. I'm I'm a speaker tomorrow, which means I need to buy a computer today. Went out a few cocktails, went down to the Apple store, picked up a new computer like this. Now, I didn't get over the job loss in that afternoon, but I made the choice that afternoon, like, I'm a speaker tomorrow. And like... I'll be honest with you guys. Like I played up the job loss maybe a bit more than I, I was like, oh, it's pretty tough. I need some time and space. But like I'm scrambling to get myself together. Like how can I be a speaker and make this happen? And I need some air cover to make this happen, right? Like, but like the job loss, man, like, yeah, that sucks. And it's not unfortunate, but like you can't control that. Control the controllables, man. That's what I say all the time. And like, mm-hmm. it's anyways, that's, that's my vibe now. And like, it's, it's pretty cool. Like it's, it's meaningful for me. It's, it's, I'm passionate about it. Like, I feel like I'm making a difference because this pain and strife that I went through had some value and meaning for me in the world. Like if I can like to come back and to lead these lessons learned on the sidelines of life is like a disservice to you and to me. It's like, what was this all for to get back to just doing like work at fucking tech company? Like, no man, like pave the way, like show us what we learned here, share some knowledge, man. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Well, I think that's so true. Like the stories that we hold are the things that shape us. 
And when we share them, they can shape others, right? And that's exactly it. It's like <laughs> you've had this experience where in many ways, like your life as you knew it has completely changed, probably flashed before your eyes, whether you were aware of it or not in terms of like this could be the end, right? Like you said, that final text message, knowing this might be like my last transmission kind of thing yeah. before, before, you know, I'm, I'm no longer here in this form, whatever, however that is, however it looks for us, but to know you could have been moving on. And now to say the perspective that that gave you to be like, what really matters here? What really matters? Is it, is it getting back to a quote unquote normal life or is it using the experiences and the story you have to, to make an impact in the world around you, the people you know, the people you can touch and influence? Yeah, like I often say, this is my second try, second chance at life. Well, probably fourth or fifth at this stage. Like I've been through, we'll get to that later on, but a few other ringers and some close calls. And I just kind of see through the bullshit now. Where I'm like, this is not important to me. This wasn't something I thought and valued before. Like, I don't give a shit about this anymore. I was like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going for bigger things. I want more to my life than just this. I want to help you. Service is now a big vibe in my motivation, which is transition from not be in service. We can talk about that later as well. But like initially how I got motivated, like she got me talking again. I'll tell you the story now. I couldn't talk for the first few weeks because I had the tracheotomy removed, but I still have the scar there, which is like, I mean, from all the things that's gone on, it's a pretty minor blemish. But uh, she took me down to the park and she goes, she talked to my family a little bit. She knew what it was about and like my vibe. And she goes, you know what, Dan, those kids across the park playing footy, they don't think you're good enough to talk, Dan. I don't think you're good enough to talk. And just kind of like backed away a little bit. And I said, I found my voice. I yelled some profanities. I'll spare your listeners. But um, <laughs> it's like, you can't judge the motivation, right? Like that, that's a bold move on her part. And it worked. Yeah. It's a bold move and it worked. But like she knew from talking to my family that this would motivate, this might motivate the guy. I don't think she knew for sure, but like, it was worth a shot. It was worth a shot. And it bloody worked, man. Like, I I will bend the world to make this work. I will yell across the park. You, How dare you think I'm not good enough to talk with? Who do you think you're talking to? I got that in spades, man. So, like, motivation, tell me I can't do something and I'll bend the world to do it. Uh, in my demo reel, I got this great line of, like, you know, do you guys watch The Last Dance, Michael Jordan? Yeah. So, good good documentary. The soundtrack is banging on that oh, man. thing, right? So <laughs> yes, good. sir. I love that soundtrack, but like, you notice how he motivated himself. Like, oh, my, this guy's a good defensive player. You think he's a good defensive player? I'm gonna torch this guy. Nice game, Mike. Like, I'll torch you up for 50 points in the next game. Like, dude, I got that inside me. Like, you don't think I can do this? Watch me. Like, people make a comment. Cool. It's like, I'm coming at you full steam, man. And like, I'm not a bigger person to be like, not gonna tap you on the way back and say like, I told you so. I don't know if I'm that big a person, but I will come back at you for sure. And like, you tell me I can't do something and I will scorch the earth to like prove you wrong. Like, hey man, guess what? Oh yeah, I'm up here too. Like that motivates me. And like the fact that she picked it up and guessed on that to get me speaking again was, you know, godsend. Like now, now that's, I can identify that's my motivation part. Now I'm trying to transition that to service now. Less so like F you. I've got this great slide in my in my presentation. It's the Noel Gallagher or Liam Gallagher doing this to the camera, which in the UK means up yours or fuck off. Yeah. And like that's my motivation slide. Like this is this is like fuck you. You don't think I can do this, bud? Noel Gallagher. Just watch. Two me. for the road is what I call it. Like just watch me, man. Like watch me do this because 
I, I can do this, man. And like, you don't think I can do this? Like, do you know what I've been through? Like, do you know who you're talking to? Yeah. It sounds super arrogant and conceited to say that, but like, I've been through all this stuff and you think this little comment here is going to be the thing that like just puts, oh, you can't do this. It's like, dude, like get some perspective. Like, yeah, this is nothing. Like, you don't mean anything to me. Like, I'm going to torture you. But like, it's, I'm trying to transition that now to service. I'm trying to be more, I'm trying to help you build up because when the motivation for proving you wrong happens and I prove you wrong, the motivation disappears like that. Like it's gone. Never was there. When I'm helping you, I can help you for years and, and, you know, check in on you and how you doing with this and, you know that that hack that you picked up is it you still doing that cool 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 uh that's what i'm trying to transition with for because I, I saw how bitter and jaded michael jordan was in that documentary what a crotchety old man he is he's he's the the, the best basketball player of all time for sure but like i don't know if i want to be that guy mm. in my old age like this this guy wronged me here this guy did this wrong me here i'm like yeah, cool, man. But like, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. Like, I got that inside, a little bit of that inside me for sure. But I don't want to be that guy when I'm older. That's a bit of a rant. No, that's good. So if we, if we kind of rewind things back um, to kind of revisit what you went through, uh, if you're comfortable sharing some of these things, what was one while you were in a in a coma? Were you cognitive? Like, were you conscious of what was going on what was that experience like when you were when you were going through that yeah i had some weird dreams so i've mentioned this a few times i don't know what this means so if you know what it means please get in touch i had this one dream where i was on a submarine and on the submarine there was a massive aquarium and i'm like this doesn't make any bloody sense because like we're underwater already why do you guys need a bloody submarine with an aquarium on it and i was on the submarine and i was trapped in the submarine for a while and i couldn't figure out what that means I don't know what it means still, but like it's it's a bit of a wild dream. But like I don't really have clear memories of this. Other memories, I think, playing the game of life and some weird. It's like a dream state, kind of. So time and space were more more lucid, or yeah. Um, and were you aware, like, when your parents were visiting, or nurses were coming in? Like, I could hear there... I could hear voices for sure. Like, my mom told me, like, if you come out of the coma and you get better, we'll take you on a safari, and I and then eventually. I mean, I think she teed me up for it when I kind of was getting better and I like, kept repeating it like when I was more and more cognizant. But I woke up and was like, Mom, so when are we going on safari? Because that sounds pretty <laughs> cool. And we did go on safari, man. It was a great trip. Amazing. Uh, but it was like, uh, it was otherworldly. And I wake up and, you know, wake up in the in the hospital and I can't, I can't walk, right? So like my, I'm in a wheelchair and I'm like, okay, cool. Like my eyes all buggered up because my eye, I've got double vision still, which is, yeah, the pleasure seeing two of you guys, which is pretty great. Um, <laughs> but like it's, it's, there's a lot of knocks, man. Like there's a lot of knocks, but it's like, it doesn't, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it matters, right? And it sounds like a bit, that's like, I don't know. I, I made my way through this with that mindset alone. Mm-hmm. So just, I mean, hearing that is so inspiring. I think it's so easy to be a victim, like, like, even today when I was driving to work, I was getting mad at how many red lights there are. You know, like, it's, like, easy to victimize yourself and become paralyzed in being a victim and find comfort in being a victim. Can you kind of talk about, because you're so positive and it's incredible, this attitude, this mindset that you have. 
Can you talk about the progress of your headspace and how that kind of mirrored your recovery? Like, was there a time of denial or anger or just like fear before you got to this, this space of like acceptance and this, this kind of fuck the world mentality. Like I'll, I'll prove that I can be the person that I want to be despite these setbacks, despite these circumstances. Can you kind of like share that trajectory of, of, of where this attitude come from, comes from and, and kind of your own, your own path and, and getting there, whether there was anger or denial or, or what that looked like in getting to acceptance and, and being a highly motivated person like you are now. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's, wasn't out of the gate, like super chipper about this. I'll be honest with you. Like I was pretty down on my luck and this sucks and this isn't fair and woes me, woes me. And I was probably down and out for about a month. Like this isn't fair, but I kind of realized like, look, man, like it's a mind game now because this didn't kill you. You got some knocks for sure. You can't walk. Your eyes all wonky. Like you can't really fatigue was a big issue. It still is like I need to rest and kind of prep myself for the day. But like this didn't kill you. And I realized that it's not what happens to you, but how you react to that. It's going to be a big difference here. Mm -hmm. And so I, I told myself that the pity spiral is what I got to avoid at all costs. And the pity spiral is like when you woes me, woes me. This isn't fair. This sucks. Like, look, everything's against me. It's like, dude, no one gives a shit about you. You're not that important. You're not that. It's not about you. It's like, get over yourself. Like, it's not about you. You get to do this. You get to do this. You don't have to do this. You get to do this, which is a key mindset to take on board. Like, I get to learn how to get in the wheelchair again. Like, it could have been curtains for me, but I get to go in the wheelchair again. I get to eat real food, not... uh, hospital food which is pretty fantastic when i my dad sidetrack here's a little side story my dad brought in uh fish and chips from uh the fishmonger in the uh and in hammersmith and i inhaled them i I inhaled them right he goes how was that then i go god that was fucking fantastic (laughs) more please yeah like i inhaled it he goes it's like it was so joyous to watch you eat because like i had been on hospital food for months right and like Mm -hmm. And that was on, that was tubes intravenous, and then it was hospital food, which is you know, it's hospital food. Let's be honest, it's not the best. Yeah, but fish and chips, like this is this is real food. This is fantastic. But like, <laughs> this mindset was like I knew that I had to hold on to that mindset above anything else. Like if I if I go woes me down the pity spiral, then you're right. Like, it's not fair that it happened to me. But the key question you got to ask yourself is, and what? It's not fair it happened, and what? Well, da da da, and what? And eventually, you, you run out of runway here, and you're like, "Well, how do I get better? How do I get better? Like, how can I fix this?" It's like, "Well, you run out of runway," and like, it's tough to say because people are like, "Well, damn, that's you know my story, you know my situation." It's like, dude, like I was on the brink. I call what my experiences brought me to is the depths of the human experience. Like, I was on the brink of like hanging on. My mindset was fragile, like I was like this could go either way here, a number of times. But I knew that it was how I thought about it that mattered. You get to do this. Mm-hmm. And what? Like don't don't go down the pity spiral. Woe's me, woe's me. Like give yourself a bit of bandwidth to be negative for sure, but cut it off, man. Yeah. So I gave myself a month after the first setback. Uh the 
precursor to a second step. I'll tell you about that in a second. But, uh, and I got to work, man, like chop wood, carry water, like exercise, rehab, vibe up. Like I wore a splint in Charing Cross or in Wilson Rehab Center. The splint was designed to help me walk again, to stretch out my leg. And the comb of my leg had frozen at an angle. And so I had to wear the splint to stretch out my leg, gently stretch out my leg, they told me. There was nothing gentle about this, man. Hmm. First night I wore it through the night, no issue, no stress. This will be easy, I thought. This will be easy. The second night, after 20 minutes, it was painful. After 30 minutes, it was dreadful. After 40, it was unbearable. Like a rat's nest torture chamber had been descended on my leg. And by every minute, it's growing by exponential amounts to the past. It was like unbearable. I take the splint off my leg. I buzz the nurses. I tell them, tomorrow we're doing this for an hour. Rack it up for an hour. I can do this. Sure, Dan? Sure, yeah. 100%. 100%. The third night, they wrap up the splint. Give me the clicker, the nurse call button. Set the time on my phone for one hour. And they go patrol the Wolfson Ward. Now, the Wolfson Ward's in L-shape. So short on this side, long on this side. Short on this side, long on this side. And they leave me in the hospital room that smells like only a hospital room can smell. Sterilized. Stagnant. Like, no disrespect to the hospitals. It's a, it's a grim place to be at times. But, like, the smell is just, like, sterilized goop. I don't know. It's horrible. After 10 minutes, the leg starts smarting again. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is, this is getting painful. After 20 minutes, the leg's dreadful. The rat's nest is back. The torch chamber is back. After 30 minutes, the leg is unbearable. And I'm thinking, we got another half an hour of this on the board. This is insane. This is insanity, man. Whose idea was this? This is not possible. This is not feasible. I start passing the clicker back and forth. Now, I have double vision, as I mentioned, which means I get to see two of you gentlemen, but it means I see two of this bloody clicker thing, right? As the pain ratchets up, my throws get more enthusiastic. So eventually... Inevitably, my clicker falls on the ground. Off the bed, on the ground, hard linoleum floor, three and a half feet down on the ground. Shit. I look over the edge of the bed, I see the clicker there lying on the ground. I thought a drop from that height might break my arm. In fact, I figured about a 50-50 chance of me breaking my arm, a coin flip. Not the best odds, let's change tack. I try to, I'm pawing at the splint, I'm trying to undo it, but it's done up at the ankle, not at the hip, I can't reach it. I'm not that flexible. Help, I yell. The ward of the Wilsons is in L-shape, right? Short on this side, long on this side. They're the far end of the ward. They can't hear me yelling for help. The solution to my problem is right there on the ground. If I can get that clicker, I can resolve the splint. Might break my arm. Might change my priorities pretty quickly, but at least I get the splint off my leg. I lower myself off the edge of the bed, and I crash down in a heap. It's a yard sale. Blankets, wires, cables, it's all a goal. The arm holds, man. It holds. And I hammer the clicker, expecting like the bat signal's been put up. The nurses are going to come bursting into the room to come to my rescue. They kind of strolled in five minutes later. What are you doing on the floor? They asked me. <laughs> Let's not worry about that, please. Let's get the splint off my leg. <laughs> I'll tell you all about it. So yeah. It's not what happens to you, but how you react to the matters, right? It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it. What I learned from this experience was, let's not pass the clicker back and forth, first and foremost. Pretty obvious lesson. But... Sometimes I take such a stove until it's hot. And the second lesson was let's do the splint up at the hip, not at the ankle. That way I can do this going forwards. It's a better than yesterday kind of vibe. I'm learning on this. They're stacking on top of each other. If I'm picking this up, like I'm learning from this experience and I'm not going to do this mistake again. I'm happy to say the rat's nest never came back. Um, but it was 
like a better than yesterday kind of vibe that I learned from this experience. Like, I'll never make that mistake again. I fail all the time. All the time I fail, but rarely do I fail the same thing twice. Sometimes I will fail the same thing twice. But like, I learned from those experiences better than yesterday. I shared a story with you about um, speaking at a brain injury conference uh, this week. This week. Sorry, the week's getting jumbled right now. And I had a great flow going, man. A great flow, like ripping it up, off piece. I'm not reading my notes. I'm just kind of going. I'm like, this is, this is a great recording right now. And then I had the cup of coffee and I put it down in the wire for my microphone, hit the keyboard and skip my slides and all that. I had to start the presentation and back up and start again. And my flow got disrupted and wasn't nearly as good the second time. We'll see how it goes. I'm not sure. I'm going to look at the recording again, but I know I didn't feel as good. But better than yesterday, right? So, like, I've got a couple lessons from that. Like, well, let's use the clicker going forwards that advances the slide so I don't have to touch the keyboard and I can keep my hands free and just touch the clicker. And I also figured out how to get rid of the URL at the top of my slides to drop that up so, like, it's more professional looking, not like whatever the URL is for the, the Google Docs. Um, but better than yesterday is my vibe. And, like, you're learning from this. Little bits of inf- information you're stacking on top of each other. 1% a day over the course of a year is 365, right? That's a big improvement. But like, that's an example of like that, going back to the, the, the splint, like that's how painful the splint was, man. That I thought a coin flip was a good odds for me to get the splint off my leg. I could break my arm a coin flip, but let's see what happens, man. If the splint's off my leg, I'm happy to take that risk. Like think about that, man. Like the arm breaking was a coin flip for me. It probably wasn't, to be honest. It probably was a lot less than that. But in my mind, is like, this is 50-50 chance this breaks my arm. And like, let's roll the dice, man. I'm going for the solution to my problem right there. I'm mm-hmm. solving my problem. I'm not worried about what it is. I'm solving my problem. It's a rant and a half there, boys. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's a good one. I feel like it's uh, th- there. there's so many lessons baked into that of just like uh, perseverance, like having a goal in mind, you know, an objective and, and, and being ready to, to do whatever it takes to get there, right? You've had, you've mentioned like that kind of, that's your perspective, right? I will, I will, I will do what it takes. I'll bend the world, you said, to, to make this thing happen. I'm curious, like, was this, is this consistent of your personality? Like young Daniel, you know, growing up, was this part of who you were or did it get kind of ratcheted up by this experience that you had, like pre and post injury? Like how, how consistent are you in your, in your passionate pursuit of like the things that you are after? It got ratcheted up for sure, but I think I've always had this vibe inside me. Like I've always been someone who's been like, "You don't think I can do this? Like, watch me." Like I've, I've uh, punched up like dating worlds, and you know, I always kind of had a chip on my shoulder. Like I'm good enough to be here, and you know, watch this. I'm gonna be here, and that was definitely there for sure. And the stubbornness in me was quite apparent as well. Like I mean. When I moved, I'll tell you one more story about moving to Sweden. When I moved, I did my master's in Sweden, right? Where did you do your master's in as well? Leadership for Sustainability. Nice. Which is like a, it's a master's in Sweden. So that was the draw there. I was a master's in Sweden for free because I had an Austrian passport, which is a pretty cool vibe. Oh, that's amazing. So I got that for free, which is cool. But I moved to Sweden without housing situation sorted out. First time I told this on a podcast. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh and I booked the YHA hostel, which is like the youth association hostel for like a week. But it was Malmo Festival in like around September. Like it's a vibe. It's a whole party. I'm like, I'm going out, having a good time, meeting people and 
housing's like, yeah, yeah, I'll figure out housing. But if worst case scenario, I was renewed the 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 hostel for another week, and you know, I go down to grab something from the front desk, like a towel or sheets, something like this, and. The guy goes, oh, I see you're staying for one more night or two more nights with us. And I go, well, yeah, I'll just renew if I have to, though. Like, we'll see if it goes. And he goes, well, oh, no, no, no. You can only stay for one week. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Goes, That's the capacity of your stay in this hostel. I'm like, I can't renew for a week. It's like pretty empty hostel. He goes, no, I'm sorry. That's the limit. And I go, okay, well, that's news to me. So I'm like, okay, ramping up my house search pretty quickly here. Go for some coffee with some German girls down by the the uh, the sauna in Malmo, and it turns out one of the girls is living out of a truck for the year because you can you can sleep for free in Sweden in common grounds. It's like this rule in Sweden they have like if you're traveling over someone's ground you can you can camp there for a night or two, and in Sweden you can like camp in these public places. It's like there's no rules, like like squatters' rights almost. I'm like okay, that's. Pretty bold move to do that for the year, but like she's like, I got a tent. Why don't you do it for a few days? I'm like, all right, cool. Like, would you be okay with that? She's like, yeah. So I pitched a tent, and I go to class that day. Bring my bag to the train station, put it in the train station, lock for the day. After class, I I grab the bag from the train station, the locker, and I walk back to the tent, like expecting hopefully there's no one in the tent because that would kind of suck. And I'm really in a mood to have like a fight over my tent that's not even mine. <laughs> And I sleep in the tent that night, and it was okay. It wasn't the best sleep, but I got everything else there. And I kind of wake up, um, go shower on the beach. It's like a shower uh, set up there, and I go bring the bag into the transition again to lock it up for the day. And I go to class. Anyways, word gets out that like I'm sleeping in the tent, and a buddy from my class goes, "Hey Dan, you want to sleep on my floor?" I'm like, "Yes, one hundred percent." But like that's. Like, I was like, I'm going to make this work. I couldn't afford to pay for a hotel in, in Malmo. Other other houses were booked up because it's Malmo Festival. And, like, of course you have to book up. It's Malmo Festival. I'm like, well, dude, sorry. Like, I'm first time here. Like, I am played it pretty fast and loose, man. Like, but that's kind of my vibe. But, like, I'm not going to give up on it. Like, I'm not a guy who gives up on stuff. Like, I'm like, I'm going to make it work. And if not, like, I'm going to. At least have a good story to tell, and like, it's a pretty funny story. Like, I was in the tent for I think, can't remember if it was one night or two nights, but it was not comfortable and it was not pleasant. But it was an example of how I managed to make this work, and like I just found a way to make it work. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. And like mm-hmm. that's so was it to me? I think it was to me if that answers your question. But like, it got ratcheted up through this process because it's like. I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, you don't have no idea what I've been through with this. Like, someone makes a comment or something like this, you're like, oh, Dan did this. Like, social hierarchies and stuff. You're like, hey, man, you have no idea. Like, I used to be the guy out late all night, always late nights and pretty big party guy. And, you know, when this happened, I kind of had to refocus my life and research my life. And it kind of, there's some social hierarchy that comes around with being like a party guy and being out late and having these connections and having a hoarse voice and stuff like that. And you kind of lose that when you're not doing that, right? And people think, Oh, Dan, you wouldn't know this. You weren't there. Like, it's like, yeah, man, like, I can't be there because, like, I can't sustain this. It's not in me to sustain now. So it was there, but I got ratcheted up in the brain, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I think those things, in some ways, like, that tenacity has obviously served you and, and was one of the things that got you from, you know, on your back in a hospital room to, to at this table today, right? That desire, that capacity to say, like, no, this, I have, I have things to do. I'm not, this is not, where some people might that that might have been too much, right? Like, okay, doctor says like you know I might not walk again, so 
I guess I, my life will be in a wheelchair. And for some people, obviously, like that is their reality. There, there, there are some injuries that it's it's nearly impossible to come back from. Hundred percent. But in your case, to say, just watch me. Like I'll, I'll I'll make it back. I'll claw my way back. Whatever it takes. Like that's very much the vibe. Is like you don't think I can do this? Kid, watch me. Like that nurse or the doctors in the hospital, and then she told my parents, like, look, he's not going to be able to talk again. He's not going to be able to talk again. Nurse is like, I'll make him talk. She made me sing, baby. Like I was singing. Hmm. The doctors told my parents, like, look, he may not make this. When I was in the coma, like, he may not make this. I'm stubborn. I made it. Like, it's like, my folks came out from Vancouver and they were a huge help for me. Like, they helped me through this rehab process. Lived in London for like a year and a half, two years to help me go through rehab and all the noise of this. Like, they were a huge asset. If I didn't have them, I'm probably not speaking to you today. I'm probably not up back in Adam where I was. Like, I had a lot of help. But maybe you don't have the help that I had, the family I had, the support I had, the friends I had who came to visit me. They motivated me so much to see them in the hospital. Like, I had one friend come down. She was visiting some friends up in Scotland. She came down on London to see me before she went to Scotland. I was in a wheelchair before she went, when she came down. On the way back down, when she came back down from Scotland, I was walking again. In the Zimmer frame, but I'm walking again. It's like, I'm, I want to show you I'm trying here. I want to show you that, like, I am worthy of your praise and what you're telling me, like... Dan, I hope you you get better. I'm like, thank you. Like, I really appreciate your support. Like, I'm going to show you that I'm trying here. Mm. I always say try it's the most important bit. Try it's the most important bit. Because that's what you can control is how much effort you put in. Initially, I never tried hard. Or I never showed that I tried hard, but I did. Now it's like, I don't care if you see how hard I try. You'll never hear me fail from a lack of effort. Never hear me fail from a lack of effort. Like, I will... I will... Like, I'm sending it, man. I'm sending it fully and like... I don't care if you see that I'm sending it. Like, I want you to know that I'm sending it. And if I fail, because it wasn't good enough or something like that. But it's not going to be for lack of effort. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. But like, yeah, it was in, it's a long way of saying, I think it was ingrained before, but the brain injury kind of exemplified that. Yeah, no, that's good. What, what was that experience when you didn't have your, your verbal voice? When people were talking to you, you could hear them, but you weren't able to, to speak yet. What was that like going through that? Yeah, it was frustrating. It was frustrating for the first day, and then you kind of like, oh, well, whatever, I can't speak. Like <laughs> the, the first time that I spoke, my mom goes, the next day she goes, Dan, how are you doing? I go, good. No, you use your words, Dan. I'm like, oh, I should have never started talking. <laughs> like, it's like getting peppered by my mom to like talk and like communicate that way. But yeah. it's frustrating, man. I can't, I can't say I fully remember it, but like I know mm-hmm. that I was frustrated and upset by this, but like, Dude, like, just stack it on top. Like, can't talk, can't walk, can't smile. Like, it's like, a certain point, you're like, well, it's another thing that we add to the resume here. It's not like the be-all, end-all. Speaking's quite important now because I'm trying to be a speaker, but, like, I didn't think it was a death blow at that stage, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love how you talk about changing your perspective can activate your resilience, and you clearly embody this. Um can you can you kind of allude to how overcoming your obstacles you overcome your obstacles by reframing them? Yeah, so there's a story I like to share for this, and that's called constructive optimism. This is walking in Tudon Broadway. So Tudon Broadway's in South London, guys. Have you guys been to South London? Oh man, enough for a couple of years. Many years. Just okay. what I see on Ted Lasso, that's about it. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. So South London, Tudon Broadway's what they call up and coming. 
which means it's dodgy as, think loud, sirens, drugs, gangs, dirty, hectic, busy. It's a full-on experience. Walking with a cane and walking with an eye patch. I'm Bambi on ice out there. I turn the corner under Tooting Broadway, immediately get slammed into by someone. You know, I stagger back a few feet. Someone scurries past me on the right-hand side. Thought I was done with the rats at this stage. Someone's been stabbed on the sidewalk. I'm kind of walking around this dude. I'm thinking this is a pretty wild place to learn to walk. After a few days or so, I was thinking this is the worst place to learn how to walk in the world. Can't they see I'm trying to walk here? Can't they see I'm trying here? And then one day my perspective shifted. Maybe this isn't the worst place to learn how to walk in the world. Maybe this is the best place. If I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. Now, Toon Broadway didn't change, right, guys? Still Toon Broadway as far as I'm aware today. Yeah. Up and coming in all its glory. But it went from the worst to the best in my mind and my mood reflected that. What are you looking at in your life that you convince is the worst? Convinced is the worst. Is it? Maybe it is. Maybe it is the worst. But maybe you can turn down the suck a little bit. Maybe it's not as bad as you think it is. Can you shift that perspective a little bit? When you shift the way you look at this little Tootin' Broadway situation, I don't dread my walks. I look forward to them. Bash into me, crash past me. Good, bring it on. If I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. Like that perspective shift made all the difference because I look at it like an opportunity to learn how to walk, not an obstacle to stand in front of my way. It's like you're helping me get better here. That's what I mean by changing perspective. Yeah, that's so good. I think so many people would... would encounter those obstacles and use them as like the excuse to not do the thing right oh, it's too hard to walk here it's too busy it's too crowded too dangerous and we we take those as exit plans from stepping up to you know the hard thing stepping up to growth stepping up to the challenge and i just love that consistently like your story is one of all right like let's let's step up and and it's a beautiful reframe to say is it a is it an obstacle or is it an opportunity, right? And yeah. just like, if I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. That's such a beautiful little saying. It's a quick little aside. And like, but like, if you can get your mind to believe this stuff, like you can do it. But you have to get your mind to buy into this. Like, is it the worst or is it the best? Mm. I spend a lot of time on my backside, like lying on a bed, like thinking, how can I make this less? How can I turn down the suck is what I say. Is it the worst? Why is it the worst? Well, people bump into me, crash past me. Like it's, they don't respect that I'm walking here. I'm learning how to walk. Can't you see I'm trying to walk here? Would that make it the worst or could that make it the best? Like, and they're like, wouldn't you want to train in a difficult environment? So when you're walking somewhere else, it's like easy. Yeah. What a gift it is to walk here. And then when you shift your mindset to like what a gift it is to walk here, those walks are not strenuous, arduous, trying. They're like, you're leveling me up. Thank you for the opportunity. Like, and that sounds like, look, man, you're paying lip service to this, like you're, you're just talking smoke. It's like, well, if you believe the smoke, is it smoke? Mm. Like, it's, it's real, man. Like, I got walking again because of this mindset. And like, it's not me just saying, hey, reframe your mind and it helps you out. Like, I literally believe this is the best place for her to walk in the world. Now, Tune Bro is not the, probably the most difficult to work, walk in, but like, coming from the hospitals of the Wilson, it's a bit of a shock. And it's a pretty big jump from that to Tune Broadway. The worst, no, the best. Yeah. So has this changed your outlook for everything of what's possible? Like, okay, here you were, not able to, to walk, talk, smile, and we're sitting with you here, you're walking, you're talking, you're smiling. Uh, <laughs> like, does it make you believe that anything is possible? Yeah, like, I mean, what are you going to come at me with that I haven't overcome? Like, that sounds super arrogant and, like, conceited, but, like, 
Like literally, what are you going to put in front of me that I haven't been able to over, like have, have not dealt with harder in the past? And I've shown that the way you build resiliency, let me, let me touch on this for a second. So resiliency is, is a muscle that you flex and you build it up by showing yourself stacks of undeniable proof. What do I mean with this? Well, I want to work out in the morning. Okay, so walk for a block. For one week, next week, do two blocks. Gradually ramp it up because you want to improve and increase. Next week, three blocks, then four blocks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Over the course of like five months, you've got like, I've been walking every morning for this many weeks. Look at what I've done. I'm showing you evidence of me being resilient here. I've walked for the past five months. I've got undisputable evidence that shows that I do what I say I'm going to do. You keep promises to yourself. So now it's like, I meditate in the morning for 20 to 25 minutes. That's a big number. That's a scary number for people. Like, how do you do that then? Namaste. Um, let's, not, let's avoid that if we can. Uh, namaste. Um, but you meditate by doing it for two minutes in the morning. Next week, you do four minutes. Then six minutes a week after. Then eight minutes. Then 10 minutes. Then 12. Then 14. Then 16. Then 18. Then 20. Then 22. Then 24. 26. You gradually ramp it up and you've got a stack of evidence looking at the weeks in the past that says, hey, I do what I say I'm going to do. For the past 12 weeks, I've done this and I've ramped this up. That's how you build the resilience in your vibe. Yeah. Do you, um, like uh, kind of on that note, do you have that internal battle with yourself still? Like I know a lot of people are, are highly motivated people. They want to go to the gym and get in shape or you know meditate for 40 minutes or half an hour or 10 minutes or whatever it is. But there's always things, you know, the alarm goes off, you grab the blanket, you go back to sleep, right? Are, are, do you have those conversations with yourself where you have to stack up and show that evidence and say, Dan, come on, like, I know you can do this. Like, let's, let's get out there. Let's do the thing that we said we're going to do. Or, or are you pretty like hook, line and sinker in with like, once I set my mind to something, I'm just going to go for it. So that's a good question. And like, it, it depends. Like, I'm not going to say that I never don't go to the gym, but I base it based on how I recover and rest. So I've got the whoop strap, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I love this thing, man. Like I'm addicted to this. How do I sleep? How to recover? How to strain? And if I slept poorly, I allow myself to miss a morning workout. Like if I slept poorly, like sleep is more important than working out because if I don't sleep, I'm not in a good way. Sleep is by far the most important thing for me to recover and rest from a brain injury. If I sleep poorly, my fatigue is poor. My energy is going to be poor. My whole day will be sacrificed by going to the gym and pushing it now. I've learned that through trial and error. I've mm. learned that by pushing through it and going to the gym. Um, that being said, like I'm very religious with like if I get in the pool, I think whenever I think in my mind, I have to do that many lengths. So I swim a lot. I'm um, swimming this evening actually. And I'll like 60 lengths or 80 lengths or 40 lengths and I'll and I have to do that even if I think for a second. I've got a lap counter which counts my laps and I'll do those laps. Save one exception. Save one exception. If there's limited lanes and there's a slow person in my lane, anybody got time for that. So then I'll bounce out of that lane. If my lap counter stops counting laps, I've been known to give in a few times and be like, I'm going to the sauna, screw this, because I like counting my laps, which is a bit, because I've got a threshold I want to reach. And if I don't, I've been swimming for like half the time and then I realize it hasn't been counting my laps. I'm like, you know what, screw this. Um, that being said, beside those three or two, for reasons why I usually do what I say I'm going to do. Yeah. But I've got the evidence to show that I do what I say I'm going to do. The resiliency is built up over flexing that muscle. Yeah. And part of, I think part of the resiliency is also like knowing what you need, like you said, right? Like, okay, I need, I need rest. I need to prioritize recovery and rest. And, you know, we can often think resiliency is just like 
being the person who goes until burnout and you're so tough and you can keep going through. But part of, part of that is like recognizing longevity. Like yeah. what do I need to do to be able to keep at this for as long as I possibly can? And that's prioritizing rest, recovery, eating well, sleeping well, all of those things, right? Like rest is the most important for me. If I slept poorly, I will not do any exercise in the morning. Yeah. No doubt. Like without a doubt, I will miss that. That's the most important thing. That's the number one priority. That's the number one, two, and three priority for me, rest. Yeah. Recovery, how do I sleep? If I slept well, then I worry about strain. But that being said, like when I was when I was working in London, I go for a walk in the morning before I started work and I would, you know, I'd literally do 10, 12, 14, 16 blocks and I would just, just snake them back and forth on the ladder. And I'd ramp it up, ramp it down, listen to audiobooks in the way. It was pretty cool. But like you just found what works for you. But like keep promises to yourself, man. Mm-hmm. Prove to yourself that you're someone who says you know what you say you're going to do. I do what I say I'm going to do. I, I prove this by, look at this evidence that I've proven to myself. Yeah. I love the, um, the simplicity, but the impact of, of, of that doing what you are saying you're going to do. Because I think it's, it's a simple thing, but it is, it is hard. We are talking about it this morning. Like, I want to work out more in the morning because, you know, the day gets busy and I, and I miss it. But that alarm goes off and those sheets feel cozy and, it's easier to click snooze than to, you know, get out and do it. Uh, but if we just do what we say we're going to do, so much becomes possible. You know, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. So like it's, 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 it's simple. It's not easy. Yes. Which is a word I use a lot. Like it's simple. It's not it's simple to say like, I'm going to work out. Yes. It's not easy to say you to do it. Yes. Simple to say like, okay, I'm going to decide to go right here. Like I'm, I'm being a speaker now. I'm, this is like harder than all hell, man. Like I'm getting a lot of no's. I'm running up this hill. It's simple to decide I'm going right here, but right happens to be straight up hill right now. And it's one step forward, three steps back. One step forward, three steps back. I'm like, dude, I'm further behind than I was last week. It's like, yeah, keep going, man. But I'm climbing up this hill now. And it's like I can see the crest of the hill. I'm like, is that the crest of the hill? Keep going, keep going, keep going. But like it's simple, but it's not easy to address what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Simple but not easy. Um, you talk about moon moonshot goal setting as well. How to set audacious goals and reach them. And I know, um, you know, speaking is a path that you're on right now. Um, maybe this is a twofold question. Um, can you share how to set audacious goals for people listening? And then can you share some of some audacious goals you have for yourself? Yeah, thank. You. I mean, like my goals are just what I want to do. So. Speaker, full-time, like, that's what I want to do. TED Talk, I want to do a TED Talk. I'll say it out loud now. Like, a TED Talk's what I want to do. Uh, my goal last year was to ski, okay? I'll, I'll dive into the story about skiing quickly, if you don't mind. Um, of course. So, in Charing Cross Hospital, I was working on the even bars. Now, these are just what they sound like, even bars you hold when you're unstable on your feet. Early days from the brain injury, Charing Cross was the first hospital. So before I went and moved to rehab at Wolfson, I was at Charing Cross. And they were asking me what I was most looking forward to get back to doing. And I, you know, I thought about it. this is a big question. I want to have a good answer for them. I used to play all the sports like soccer, hockey, volleyball, softball, skiing. What was the most difficult to get back to doing that I wanted to get back to doing? Skiing would be the most difficult. Balance, core strength, depth perception. Vision, which we heard about earlier, would make things interesting. Mm-hmm. Gauging obstacles at speed. If I could see again, I'd have to be in a pretty way physically, I thought. So I told them, I want to ski again. They kind of paused and looked at each other and, like, non agreement. 
Okay, they said. I'm sure this is a nothing thing for them, right? But for me, this is like, I said this out loud, I am doing this. And I was asked, why don't I make this goal happen? After talking about Hootsuite, and I said, 10 years from the last ski trip. Um, 2012 was the last ski trip I did to Morsi Mountain. And we're into March last year. And like I brought the skis in the shop. They could get waxed, they get sharpened, they couldn't adjust my bindings because they were too old. For live illusions, they couldn't touch the bindings. <laughs> like, cool. Just like me, man, I'm a bit outdated. But like, the binds would hold your feet into the skis, and if they don't break off, you can hurt your knees pretty badly. Mine were set pretty high because I used to ski pretty aggressively. I was a ski racer and an instructor after uni. So I was pretty big with the steep pitches and like, like caning it down the hill. I was going pretty hard. They couldn't adjust the binds. I'm like, cool, cool, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> so we picked a date March 31st last year, so almost a year ago today. And we landed on some just ski because when you're skiing in the springtime, if it's raining on the base, you're raining on the slow, and that sucks. We landed on sun. So we, we're at Grouse Mountain. Have you guys been up Grouse? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So like we're on the Grouse Mountain Super Sky Ride, right? I remember this old hack. To be the last one on the gondola. That way you can rest your skis and the doors that close behind you. Put your poles in there. Have your hands free to do up your gloves, do up your jacket. It's like an OG hack. I did this. I was like, yeah, man, I know what's going on here. Let's do this. This is how I do it back when I was ski racing days. It's pretty cool. We're on the gondola ride going up, right? I'm like getting vibed out there. It's pretty cool. Over the first tower, you know, big forwards, big back. And I think to myself, like, you know, what if it doesn't come back, dude? Like, you're kind of like sending this right now. What if it doesn't come back? This is going to be pretty embarrassing. Ah, I'll come back. It'll come back. It'll be fine, right? So if you you guys could just close your eyes along with your listeners, if you wouldn't mind, I'll take you up the hill. You're going to feel a bit of cold in your cheeks, just a nip next to your cheeks. It's not too cold, but you're at altitude now. You're going to dock at the station. You're going to walk through the station while your gear clomping around into a wall of sunshine. Beautiful bluebird day. Big inhale. Smell the pines, the fresh air, the snow down the stairs. Clang, clang, clang onto the snow. Crunch, crunch, crunch. It's soft back. It's spring-like, don't you know? You guys can open your eyes, please. And we did a few warm runs with the boys, Andrew and RJ. And dude, I got this video of me skiing. That's like, it's like I never missed a day. I ripped it down the hill. Remember an old hack as an instructor where you ski with the poles on your hands? That way you keep your upper body still, your lower body like a duck. And I just like, just shredded him. And I visualized this so many times, three pumps of the poles into a left-hand turn. And I'm just like sending it down the hill. And I'm like, the first time I'd gone fast in Sindri, man, it was, it was a bloody magical day. And it was like, just couldn't wipe the smile off my face. Cause like, dude, I said I was going to ski and I'm buddy skiing. Like, this, this would be impossible. Like there's no way those doctors thought I could ski again. There's no way they thought, like, that's nice, Dan. That's a nice goal to have. You're in a wheelchair right now, but just in case you haven't noticed, like, you can't even walk, dude. So, like, I'm like, no, dude. I said I'm going to ski again. I'm going to ski again. And, like, how did I get there? Chop wood, carry water, man. Work out, stretch out, like, build up better and, like, keep pushing the boundaries of this stuff, right? Like, the way I built up to where I'm at now is keep pushing the boundaries. And you fail a lot doing that. You fail a ton and you feel when you're in your 30s failing a lot, you feel like an idiot because you're like, dude, I've made this, I learned this mistake. I learned this lesson many years ago, but I keep making this mistake because I'm like, the brain just kind of erased all of those previous learnings for me. Now I'm like, I'll fail now at stuff that I've done in the past and I used to know how to do quite well. It's like, I don't know, keep sending it, man. Like, 
And if you, you fail enough times, you're going to be successful. Like, I fall down seven, get up eight. Like, I just keep getting up. It's like, you can't get me, bud. <laughs> Whack-a-mole, I'm still back up here again, man. So, like, yeah. Like, I I skied, bro. And it's pretty cool. That's amazing. That's such a good story, Dan. <laughs> I just, like, yeah. A bluebird day on the hill is, <laughs> is good, like, big enough to just, like, let you light you up, let you have a big smile. But when it's, like you're you've achieved this incredible goal that you know uh, people may or may not have believed would ever be possible like i could just imagine like getting down to the bottom of the cut uh, after that first run and the sensation the feeling it's like it's just making like it's filling me up i'm like oh that's so amazing remember like my boots like my boots are so bloody uncomfortable i gotta undo them every time like i remember these boots i'm like yeah i remember this shit yeah it's like Every time I'm at the bottom of the hill, I gotta undo them because they're so tight. Yeah. And then at the top, I gotta put them back down again so I can ski hard. And yeah. like, it's just like you're like, I hate this, but this is the best thing yeah, ever. Yeah, it's like these boots. <laughs> these boots, buddy, suck. They're good boots. They're really good boots. They're like, they're very uncomfortable. I'm like, if I'm gonna ski again, I need to get better boots. I think I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't ski this year, unfortunately. It just kind of got away from me. Like I've been full of sending it with speaking, and like to be honest, it was. I'll go next year. I'm not like I'm not a one and done skier. Like I want to ski again, but it has to be. I just had the surgery on the eyes to correct double vision. It's still there. So that's unfortunate, but it's it's improved the eyes a lot. Okay. Uh, but we're going to go for surgery on the other eye maybe in a few months' time. And like I wanted to kind of wait until it gets settled because it's changed the way the double vision is now. I wasn't sure that was going to be within the ski hill. I didn't want to risk having a crash. I've got a new helmet now, which is nice. That sent me back a few pennies. That's bloody expensive these days. Yeah. Like 200 bucks for the bloody thing. Yeah. But I figured like it'd be worthwhile to invest in a helmet with the brain injury like... Yeah, I don't even know if you're supposed to be skiing with that brain injury, but like I'm like I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna buy a helmet if you need to, but like, um, yeah, dude. So skiing last year was pretty cool, and like that's how do I come up with this goal? Like I wanted to ski, and I said I was gonna do it out loud, so I just kind of tracked this down. Speaking, like how do I want to do that? Find something small, meaningful you can put into, and like fully send it on that. Complete it. Move on to the next one. Fully send on that. Complete it. Done is better than perfect. Like the brain injury conference, like it's done. Was it as good as it could be? No. Will I learn from this? Yes. Will it be better next time? Yes. Mm-hmm. Better than yesterday. But it's like I'm stacking this stuff on top of each other. I'm, I'm getting out there to do it because like this great quote from, um, not from Brene Brown, but she quotes it. The man in the arena. Have you guys heard the speech? No, let's hear it. I don't know it off by heart, but it's like the man in the arena the is like, speech, Dan, come on. Uh, off the top. <laughs> it's like the man in the arena, like, it's a lovely speech by Brene Brown, and it goes like, essentially what it means, I won't, won't try to redo the speech myself because I don't know it, but like, it's like, I don't care about what you think unless you're in the arena with me. If you're in the cheat seats, like, you should do it this way, you should do it that way. It's like, dude, unless you're in here getting dusty and sweaty and bloody with me, like, I don't care what you have to say about this. Mm. And it's like, I I, I don't, I gotta say this carefully because like, I don't want to like ostracize myself, but like I gotta be careful with who I take feedback from because it's like, hey man, unless you're doing this shit, unless you're fully sending something, like I don't really care what you have to say about this because I am caning this right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I am going at this like full steam, and, like I am willing to die on this hill, which is like dramatic to say, and I don't know if it even is dramatic to say. It's like, I, but I know what it means. Yeah, I know what the consequences. Like I I want this. So bad, so bad, man. I think I can add so much value to like groups and, and perspective and organizations. Like, 
you can just hear me talk about this. Like maybe you like change the way you look at the world. Like these little hacks are stupid and light, but like, are they? Because mm-hmm. they got me through this crap. And like, maybe I don't get through this with all these hacks. Yeah. And that perspective shift, like the worst and the best, man. Like that, that stuff seems trite and small, but like, that's the actual game. And when you're like, when you're flat on your back, like trying to get through life, like that's the stuff that matters and adds up. And when you can kind of sit back and be like, hey man, that's the stuff that actually matters. And you get someone like commenting on something else, you're like, all right, cool, bud. Like, cool perspective. Like, thanks for this. Per- thanks for being here. And like, mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know. You, there's a lot of noise and you can't take it all in. I think that's, I mean, I think that's sage advice on its own. Like, if, if you're not on the court with you, yeah. then, you know, there's, their opinion doesn't necessarily matter. And that could be wherever you are. Like, you know, we live in an online world where everybody has an opinion and everybody's quick to be loud and angry and use lots of exclamation marks. But uh, do all of those points really matter? Probably not, you know. But if yeah. if you're working with your team, the people that you trust, the people that you're growing with and evolving with, you know, those opinions matter. So it's like tuning in to, to the channels that uh, are going to make you the best version of yourself and, and tuning out of the channels that uh, don't contribute to, to that journey, right? Well, a lot of this is like I've built back by going into myself. Like mm-hmm. I've fully gone into myself and I'm fully loving what I'm seeing. I've cleaned up the place. It looks great. Um, I've fully transformed and like reborn my values, my perspective, who I am as a person, what I do as a man. Like I've cleaned my house up entirely. And like, I'm, I'm very much like, no, no, I do this. I don't do that. This is what I stand for. This is what I do. And like, I won't tolerate this kind of crap in my life anymore. It's like, no, no, I used to tolerate this. I don't need this shit in my life anymore. But it's like, I, I built myself back up on my own, which is quite cool. Because no one's coming to save you at the end of the day, man. It's like, it's you on you, you v you. And, like, you can't expect someone to come save you. Like, you have to get through this. Now, I had a ton of help. I don't want to make it sound like I've done all this. Look at how great I am. Like, I had a ton of help. And, like, the doctors were excellent. The nurses were excellent. The rehab was phenomenal. My parents came out from London, from Vancouver to London. Like, that was so helpful. I'm not here unless they come out. Uh, friends came in to visit me. Like, that was so amazing they did that. And that spurred me along to get better. But, like, at the end of the day, you got to go inside yourself to get yourself better, if it makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like a, a, a parallel story could be someone has all those things as well, but still doesn't have that that resolve to to really push and get get better. They they take it and they you know they accept the the condolences and the sympathy and the love and support, but they don't have that same drive to say, okay, I woke up today. How can I be better than I was yesterday? And just that small incremental wins over time, right? So the the. The, the unsexy work, right? Chop wood, carry water. What does that look like today? What does that look like in this rehab appointment? What does that look like in this desire to pursue my next goal, right? What does that look like to prepare myself to ski for the first time, to get on the stage for a first time? Whatever it might be, pitch that deal. For anyone, you know, we all have goals and they can be big, but what do I need to do today to make myself one step closer to that, right? That's the yeah. that's the takeaway. And and someone someone might just say, "Oh, it's too big. It's too big of a burden. It's too hard." I got people cheering for me. I got support of family and friends, but I don't know. Versus that plus the desire to achieve these things. Yeah, it's like very much a mindset game and chop wood care like everything, man. Like when I get frazzled with work and like doing stuff now, like I'm trying to get 
podcast going and speaking stuff going and deals going here. I was like, what? I'm all frazzled out. I'm freaking out. Like, no, dude, chop wood, carry water. Like, do this right now. Dive fully into this. Lock into this. Okay, cool. Let's go to the gym. Let's go for a walk. Like, segment your time. Build it up and do the work. Like, put the work in and do it fully to your ability. Like, I've got a number of hacks that I talked about as well. Um, if you don't mind, I'll go into one or two of those. Yeah, let's get into it. So, a big one for me is making your bed, which sounds like a stupid bloody habit and to be honest i never made my bed growing up like i never made my bed it was it was like your bed made yeah no hard pass no way i didn't understand the value of making your bed if you make your bed it's the first task you accomplish in the morning you paved the way for more success last thing you do in the day is get into bed hey accomplish that in the morning tim Ferriss says if you win the morning you win the day so i make my bed every morning not like profession well it's pretty good to be honest i'm pretty i'm pretty i'm pretty specific with it but if the bed is made, your room will look tidy. It's the first task you accomplish in the day. You're paving the way for more success. The last thing you do today is get in the bed. Like, it's a huge keystone habit. It's quite big. I talk about IFTTT. So if this, then that is a hack about as well. That's an old ha- ha- uh, hack app app that was big a while ago. So like you'd set it up to be like, if Dan tweets, retweet this or something like this. It's like a simple code script you write. I'm not a... I make it sound like I know a lot about tech. I do not. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I know about this app. But like I've got these rules in life. So it's like, for instance, in my life in London. So when I'm taking the tube into work, which is like the subway there, if it's a red line, then then stop and take a new road. If it's yellow, hold, hold the line and get on the tube and just wait. It's faster to wait than to switch it up. Have these rules in life to kind of keep me on track and like to not think about stuff. I know like if it's this and that. Yellow, stay, red, bounce. There's another one I had as well for that. I can't remember now, but it, like these rules you kind of set up for life that allow you to, to navigate things in a more quick and action-oriented place. Another one I've got here is uh, meditation. So I meditate in the morning now. It's a big habit. The best habit I picked up since Bringer is meditation. Oh. I read Tim Ferriss's book, Tools of Titans, and he said, you know, 80% of the top performers have this mindfulness practice. Like this is a keystone habit. Like, cool, I want to do that. I want to be part of this group. Started out with two minutes in the morning, then four, then six, then eight. If you don't think you can do it, just try it for like, just listen to no, like rain noises, right? Two minutes, timer. If you think, great. If you don't, doesn't matter. Just just two minutes. Hold, hold the line for two minutes. Next week, do four minutes, then six minutes, then eight minutes. Gradually ramp it up. Prove to yourself you can do this. These little habits I picked up with this. I got one that's called um, swimming. So I exercise. It could be, so swim is either... Mood follows action. Ritual. Big big fan of ritual. Yeah. Uh, mood follows action. I believe this wholeheartedly. So like I, I wake up and I'll go for a walk, a gym, a swim. I'll get a sweat on every day. Um, I'm going to the pool this evening to do that. But I find that you can untangle stuff in your mind in the pool because it's like you're meditating but you're not. There's no outside influence. Save those pesky backstrokers, man. If you guys are backstrokers with this conversation, is done. <laughs> More of a doggy paddler. Free, freestyle, freestyle all the way. Freestyle but like you, way. You, you burn out the energy here and you like you send it in the pool. I've got the whoop tracker which tracks my swim, which actually last night I swam pretty hard and it told me this whoop, whoop reading was unavailable. My heart rate runner was unavailable. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. I was pissed. I thought I sent it in the pool so hard. It's weird how those things kind of stack up. But like you do these exercises and like you burn it. But... Um, I had a point that I was going to mention with this. Oh, so when you're done with the exercise, you want to have a shower. Most times we do. 
two hacks for this one. First one, buy some eucalyptus oil on Amazon or your local herb shot. Sprinkle a bit of that in your shower. A couple drops. You're in the spa now. You're welcome. Second habit is you end the shower cold. You have a hot shower, but end the shower cold. One to two minutes. It's going to be a real abrasive start, I'll tell you that much. But once you get into it, you crave this. It's a dopamine rush that's like equivalent to like um, cocaine and ecstasy, apparently. Um, that kind of gives you this high that lasts for the whole day or for the couple hours. But you start craving this. You willing yourself put yourself into this hard struggle that you willingly put yourself into. You know you can do hard things. I've done this because I've, I've walked into the cold shower. I turned the shower cold and I knew the water was coming. I can I can stick with it and make it happen. There's a couple of hacks I've got. Um, they're lighthearted. They're they're chill. I've got a whole bunch of them that kind of make life a bit fun. Turn down the suck a little bit, and things that have a bit more fun with this because it's like if you can gamify stuff. If you can gamify life. You can make it so much further than you can if you can't. Like the person who loves the journey will go so much further than the person who loves the destination. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I want to, like like I was on this gamer podcast a couple months last month. I'm not a big gamer, and I was a bit worried about this conversation. I was like, shit, what if I sign up for? It? And it's like, what game were you really into? And like, well, I, you know, back in the day, I played Mario Kart 64. That was my game. I was not bad at that. Won a, a cost or a what do they call it? Not fancy dress. Uh, Halloween costume party at like yeah. um, Uvic. We were we were Mario Kart battle mode. We had little uh, balloons on our, our backs and stuff, and we won the first prize of Felicitas, which is like four hundred dollar bar tab. It was wicked, <laughs> <laughs> wicked like claim to fame, right? Yes. But back to the back to the gamification, right? Like if you think think about life, like as as this Mario Kart game, like you know, there's an obstacle on, on turn two on the left hand side. You crash in that once, cool. Crash in it twice, okay, not the best. Three times, it's like, dude, you know the obstacle's there. Drive around this thing. Gamify life. Like, if you just think about life in this situation, like, no, no, gamify this. Drive around this thing. You can make life a lot less arduous and difficult. I'll share one last um, hack with you guys, and then we can move on to something else if you want. Icebreakers. So icebreakers are not a social icebreaker, but think of like an actual icebreaker in in the Arctic. So it breaks through the ice. In London, you have these busy areas called the circuses. So Oxford Circus, Piccadilly Circus. They're bloody circuses. They're <laughs> chaos. The people go in every direction. It's madness. You want to find an icebreaker. Someone who's walking in your direction and you slot in behind them. Let them break the ice for you. It takes a bit of the bandwidth off your vibe. Go right up behind them. It'll be a bit awkward, but like let them break the ice for you and let them deal with the oncoming traffic. You gotta save bandwidth everywhere you go with the brain tree. My fatigue levels now are quite high, so like I need to be very cognizant of that. But little things like icebreakers allow me to kind of save bandwidth when I'm walking these busy areas. I can save bandwidth by falling off your wake, like drafting off you, so to speak. It's a stupid light way to think about stuff, but it's like it makes it better than yesterday. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I love that. And and it's it's funny, like um <clears throat> I'm into I'm a a part-time cyclist and um you know when you draft in cycling if you follow another cyclist it's like 40 percent easier than if you're the the man in the front yeah and i've never thought about that in a more macro way of looking for those those icebreakers so i think that's that's a really cool frame to kind of look for those people those places 
where you can ride that wake and, and make, you know, like you said, turn, turn down that sucker, make things a little bit easier to, yeah. to get uh, to the next kind of jump, jump pad for, for your journey. Yeah, like Piccadilly Circus Mound, like it's just like, <laughs> or Victoria Station, like all oh, these places are just wild, man. People walk in every direction. Just find someone who's walking with purpose and walk right behind them. And like you, you let them deal with the oncoming strife and like you're just coaxing off their work and you're like, hey man, that's a job. Yeah. This is way less strenuous for me. This is great. Last time I was in London, we stayed at a hotel in Piccadilly Circus and it was, it's, it's, it's wild. That's bad. Like it's like, it's, it's compared to New York, it's not, it's not New York level, but for Europe, it's the most New York level I've seen. Yeah. It's probably like a level eight or nine where New York's a 10. Yeah. Vancouver's probably like a five or six tops maybe maybe lower than that yeah. like i live in north end right now it's like pretty pretty cozy over there like pretty chill but like the circuses get pretty busy man like yeah. when you got the brain injury right fatigue is my fatigue is not your fatigue so you're like i get fatigued as well it's like yeah cool you do but like this is like you're in molasses man you can't move you can't think you can't do shit like it's just like it just takes you over and just weighs you down mm-hmm. and if i run that battery too hot like the battery now for me is 75 percent which means I wake up and it's at 75% fully charged. Every minute, every second is draining that battery. Below 50, I'm less pleasant. Below 30, I'm a bit of a prick. And I need to recharge the battery back to 75 or 50 or whatever. Get the battery back up. But like little things like icebreakers take the strain off the battery for a little bit. Yeah. Recharge the battery. I really like, I think that's an important lesson like for all of us because you learned it out of necessity uh, because your, your 100% is maybe... 75% of your previous, right? Yeah. And so for someone who still says, oh, I can, I can operate, I can, I can fill up to 100%, you know, we may not be as mindful of it, but I really appreciate what you said about, you know, these little hacks that you have, like the icebreaker one that you recognize where, you're, where you can save bandwidth. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's so self-aware of like, what do I need? What do I need to be able to show up and be the best version of myself to help myself be, you know, keep in line with that better than yesterday? And it requires that self-awareness. It requires some, some, um, you know, intentional thinking and then intentional action to say, what are the things that I can do? These little micro wins that are going to help me to maintain that charge as best as I can throughout the day to show up as the best version of myself that I can. Cause you don't want to see me at my 25%, right? I don't want you to see me at my 25%. And I think that's so good. We often will run ourselves ragged um, and not pay mind to, you know what, how could I, how could I achieve all of these things that I want to achieve, but do so in a way that's like kinder and gentler to myself. Yeah. I mean, like you had to be, this is being self-aware. I was never self-aware growing up. I was always pretty aloof or seemingly aloof. Like I would always kind of be like, Oh, whatever, man, screw it. You can figure it out. Now it's like I've learned by failing. I've learned by like by hitting rock bottom in terms of fatigue levels and being like, well, dude, you weren't really very pleasant there. And if you go out like half steam right now, like you're really going to flounder and fail. Like, so I've learned by failing and I've learned these lessons slowly but surely. I'm not the quickest learner of this stuff, but like I've, I've started to pick this up now. And it's like, no, man, like I come out here now with like a like a phone charger in my bag. It's like I've been out sometimes where I'm trying to find somewhere. From a phone charger, my phone dies. I'm like, well, I guess my trip's done because, like, I don't know where the address is. My phone, I'm listening to Buddy's Spotify podcast, and like, that's killed my battery, so I'm hooped. And like, if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't find you guys. And if I couldn't call you on the way here, right? It's mm-hmm. like 12, 13, 40, or whatever. 13, 130, 40. I'm like, shit. I can't <laughs> dial you in this. I don't know where it is. I should have just walked down here to check it out. But like, it's crazy how like this stuff works. But without the phone, mm-hmm. that's hoop, man. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's good. Good lessons for us all. Yes. Dan, I, I want to be be mindful of, of your time and your energy and um, I don't want to get that battery too too low below 50%, but I also want to make sure that we like, you know, do justice and share your message in, in the way that you want it to be shared. Um, before we start to kind of wrap wrap things up here, are there are there parts of your journey? Are there lessons that you want to share that we haven't brought up? Um, are there places you want to take this conversation that we haven't touched on yet? I think like one thing that's quite big and one thing I was talking about with a friend yesterday is like I'm quite lighthearted and chippy about the whole thing and it seems like quite light and quite easy to digest. And well, it must have not been that hard. Listen to how chipper and happy and jokey is about it. Like, dude, this is... I've earned the right to kind of speak about it in this way. Like I've made this injury like my, this thing tried to kill me and it didn't. And I'm kind of like, now it's like, Hey man, I'm going to laugh about you in front of people. And like, you ain't nothing. You ain't nothing for me. But like, this was everything, man. And I had a setback. So let me talk about the setback quickly, if you don't mind. Of course. So after the first brain injury, like I was working for a year to get back to work. Like I was in the hospital for six months and did a six months rehab at home. Occupational therapy, physiotherapy, preparing for a return to work, like I was, you know, I'd ramp up by taking the tube a couple of times and, and and just kind of get myself in a routine of going to the office. Started going back to work again. And that was like, you know, I wasn't really doing much. I was looking at some emails and two half days a week, it was it was, it was was chill, but like my capacity wasn't much at this stage. Hootsuite was very accommodating, lots of love for Hootsuite. And I ramped up to like three days. And two months into this, we had a bit of a setback. And by a setback, I mean, I was found unconscious in my flat by my mom. So the shunt that's in my head had blocked into hydrocephalus or water on the brain. I was rushed to emergency hospital for emergency brain surgery for the second time. I woke up in the hospital thinking, what the hell happened? What's going on here? It's like, Dan, you had a second setback. We got the blockage, but like, you just had brain surgery again. I'm like, so all my progress is washed away. I'm like, dude, like that, that sucks. That's like, that's really tough to deal with and to think about. And like, I, I see what this is the depths of the human experience. Cause like all your progress is washed away. And I described my recovery as like a W. So that first setback is the first W dip. Climb back up a little bit to the top. The second dip is, is not where the first one was, but much lower. And this is what I call the depths of the human experience where like your your progress and your thoughts and your and everything's kind of laughed at and snickered at like, oh you thought I had a chance there, but like you're pretty close there, weren't you, man? Thought you were back to work, like you were almost out of this place, but we got you. We got you back in here. And I got dark for a week, like real, real dark, man. Like real dark, real difficult. Cause all that progress was washed away and I had already done rehabs. So like I couldn't go back to rehab. My mom fought tooth and nail to get me back, like to some rehab, like in a off-site basis which we got but I had busted my tail to get back to work man and this was this happened in an instant and I just thought about it for a long time and thought you know what it's not what happens to you but how you react to the matters right it's not what happens to you but how you react to the matters I knew how to rehab I'd done this once before so I could be back better I could walk this time so I wasn't at square one I was much further ahead walking took like a bloody month two months to get sorted out right 
So I got to work on, on, on building this up and like slowly but surely chop wood, carry water. I got back into it and like, well, maybe I can rehab start doing this and start doing some more cognitive stuff with that. And it wasn't easy, but it was simple because I made the choice to be like, hey man, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. It's not easy. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but it's simple. I want to be someone who's back to work and contributing to society who can hold down a job and converse with conversation and be a pleasant person to be around. I want to be all this. It's not going to be easy to get there, but it's simple to decide that. That was the darkest it got for me. Uh, And that is something I want to make sure it comes across here is like, this wasn't all easy and and like light. I talk about it in a joking manner, but like I was hanging on my fingernails with this stuff, man. Like it was on the edge of, of, of like, am I going to make it? I don't know, but I'm holding on. I'm literally holding on. I'm hoping that something like happens or yields or gives through and I can get through this point because I don't know if I can hold on anymore, but I'm going to hold on as much as I can. And I'm going to like, you're going to take me down holding on to the edge here. And if, if I collapse, then so be it. But like, I'm holding on. I guess the message I want to say is like, just just hold on, man. Like to keep going, like just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Like this is not easy, but it's simple. Like make the choice and then commit to the choice. Commit to your plan. Commit to what you want to do and just see it through. See it through with everything because this is this is your life, man. This is the odds of being a human being are four hundred trillion to one. Four hundred trillion to one. So that means you're more likely to win the lotto like a million times than you are to have a life in the first place. My life happened to have this brain injury card in the, in the cards. Like, it was part of my card. Am I going to muck the whole hand with this? No, like, I'm going to play my buddy hand. Like, I've got some other good cards in here. Like, let's play this hand out. The odds of me having a hand are so ridiculously small that I'm not going to whinge about my hand not being the best hand. It could be because, like, hey, man, you got a hand. And 400 trillion to one, man. Like, that's a, that's a staggering number. I don't even, I had to look up how many zeros that was actually a few days ago. But, like, the odds of that are insane. And you're going to whine about, oh, this isn't as perfect as you want it to be? Like, hey, man, like, get some perspective on this. And, like, that that's kind of key with this. But the main message I want to get across is, like, look, just keep going. Because this breaks. The dawn breaks, man. I didn't think it would. And I was honestly, like, I was, like, is this going to break? I don't know. My life could be this perpetual state of his doom and gloom and shit. But it broke. And I got through there, man. And, like, I got through there a few times. Like, the setback, the first hit, the... The job loss, still these knocks in life. But if you can shorten the time it takes to accept the setbacks, you're better off for it. Because by wishing something didn't happen, you're not actively taking steps to resolve it. You're not doing anything. By accepting it happening and moving forward, you can actually take steps to progress this and advance yourself. By wishing something didn't happen doesn't do shit. You spend six months whining about this, you could have been taking steps forward from day two, from day three, from a month in, from two months in. But like, don't, don't whine about it. Be about it. Yeah, there's so much wisdom and truth in that. I think it's easy to get stuck in the why me, to be the victim, to complain. And, you know, we mentioned this earlier, to be paralyzed in, in, in action because you're unhappy of what happened to you instead of taking that step. Um. And seeing, you know, what happened to you versus what happened for you. And it's, it's hard to have that, that mindset, you know. It's hard to, sometimes hard to take that first step as you physically 
went through. But once you take that first step, there's a second step and a third step and a fourth step. And, uh, you know, just listening to you, it's so worth taking that first step, you know? Mm. The first step is like tough. And you think you do the first step, you're like, man, that was so difficult. But the second step's easier. Mm -hmm. The third step's easier. And the fourth step's easier. And like, before you know, you're like, why was I so worried about the first step? It's so much easier now. <laughs> yeah. Like, mind you, this happened to me when I was in a pretty, like a pretty young space in my life. Like I was 28, right? So I was able to bounce back from this quicker and faster because I'm young and healthy and I could, that first step was difficult. The second step was easier and easier and easier. Maybe you're a bit older. That's not the case, but like it, it is easier, man, if you keep going. Just mm-hmm. keep taking the next step, the next step, the next step. Mm-hmm. And the, the longer you take to take that first step, the harder that first step is 100% 100% you know it's like you talked about the cold shower it's a small thing but if you just step into that cold shower within a minute that cold shower is okay yeah but the hardest part is sometimes taking that step into the cold shower yeah it's um yeah it's uh take the first step man like just keep going like get to work and like chop wood carry water bud like Mm. you can do this man like like if I can do it, you can do it. And that sounds really stupid and trite to say, but like I did I did a brain test um, two weeks ago or last week, actually, in Surrey. My results were shockingly average, shockingly average, which I kind of was like a bit like, oh, that sucks. But I was like, this is great, man, because this means that the reason why you're so successful and what you've been able to do is because your mindset was so good. I'm no smarter than anyone else. I'm very average across the board, but my mindset has propelled me to where I'm at today which is kind of cool because it means I'm no smarter than you. I'm just maybe a bit more driven and a bit more committed to my plan than you are, which means you can do it too. Mm-hmm. It's not based in smarts. It's based in like personal personal drive and like determination, which kind of opens up the valve for like, hey man, you can do this too. And not to be like, well, I do this, you can do this as well because that's a bit stupid to say, but why not? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that I love about you know, the story that you've shared and, and the story that is your life is exactly that. It's like, you know, someone may look and go, oh, okay, like I've, I haven't had something traumatic happen to me like that. And it doesn't have, to, you don't have to have something like that. You can still say, I want to be like that. I want to, I want to show up for myself. I want to start creating a catalog of evidence to prove what I've done to support what I can do. I want to make decisions for myself every day in each moment to say, how can I be better? And I think that you sharing your story, you know, you talked about using it as service. Like it, it really is. It's service to anyone and everyone that gets to know you, gets to hear your story to say, damn, like look at what he's doing with the hand that he's been dealt. Like that's so inspiring. I want to start showing up for myself the way Dan shows up, you know? It makes it possible for other people to start to live a life, you know, that's moving them towards their fullness, their best. Yeah, for sure. I think like um, that's a good point you raised. Like, look, the odds are you're not gonna have a brain injury, right? They're not gonna have a brain hemorrhage. The odds of that are I don't know what the odds are, but they're not big. But you're gonna have a job loss, the loss of a loved one, a diagnosis for you, a loved one. You're gonna have that punch, proverbial punch to the face that Mike Tyson talks about. And sometimes that punch to the face can flatten you, man. But like. It doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. I've been through, look what I've been through and like, look where I'm at now. And like, I can show you a roadmap to get back and build better. Build that resilience locker of like that evidence of what you say you're going to do and like show it to yourself. Prove to yourself that you are resilient. Prove to yourself that you can do this because you can. But take the first step, man. Yeah. Oh, that's so good, man. That's so good. <laughs> 
I just love it. There's um, so it's so interesting, like such a, a story that's like so so challenging and and hard. Like you do, you bring you bring such passion and purpose and like this sense of joy to it. Like, listen, let's just go. Like, let's get to work. Let's do it. Right? There's an enthusiasm. There's a passion that's just so evident in in who you are. And I just love that you found this um, you found this desire to share that and to serve to to use it to serve others. As I said, like it's just a uh, it's taken something that's dark and hard and turned it into something that's in some ways a beautiful picture of what your life has become and an invitation for the rest of us to to stand into that and live into that and say okay let's be better let's be better one day at a time decision intention over intention i love how you bring play and possibility into hard things too like uh hard things can be hard things but you you're able to break them down and bring levity bring play bring uh, dare I say, like excitement into breaking down these walls of these hard things and and showing the world what you can do. Um, it's really inspiring to see that mindset, you know. I think if any of us can take away, you know, there's so many takeaways from this conversation, but uh, bringing in some some play, some levity, and some tenacity into into hard things having kind of that recipe makes so much possible and, and isn't that exciting you know like you you went skiing you yeah. know like what else is possible like i think for you dan and for if if those are listening are really getting the message like anything is possible yeah i mean like play is a very intentional word like my podcast is called play loose look tight documenting the process of life after Document the process of after the brain injury. Play loose look tight. What does that mean? It's a it's a life mantra in four words. Play loose, joie de vivre, have fun. Play is the first word intentionally because it means like life is about play for me. If you can make something about play, you can do anything. That walking is the worst note's the best because I'm playing here. I'm having fun. Play loose. You also want to look tight. So conversely look tight. So be on time, be intentional, be well dressed. Be like put together, be well groomed. Like the intention is quite big for this as well. So you want to play loose but look tight, which is kind of like this this whole mantra of like how to live your life. The podcast is on pause right now. The game plan is to get that back going once the speaking picks up, which is starting to now, which is cool. But like podcast doesn't pay me a dime, right? So it's like this is a passion project, and it's not very well. Um, like I'm producing this myself, so if you want to help produce me, I'd be most grateful to hear if you connect. But it's, uh, I want to share the lesson, man. I want to share the lessons learned. Like it's a fun thing to do. And I think the play is a very intentional word. That's so good that you picked up on that. Mm-hmm. I'm just checking out the podcast right now. Play loose, look tight. Very cool, man. Captain's log. Conversation about life after. Yeah, has this changed your your mindset on, I mean, you you flirted with, being in a coma, you know, having these surgeries, you've obviously flirted with, but aggressively rejected the idea of, of, of dying of death. Has it changed your, your perspective on death, your, your fear to it, or how, how has that changed for you? Yeah, I guess like it's made me appreciate life a lot more and I'm not afraid of death, but I'm afraid of not living. Like I'm afraid of like Mm -hmm. not living a life that I want to and like a life that I'm capable of. My biggest fear is like, I can't remember who said this. I'm not, it's not mine, but like my biggest fear is like 
you know, you're on your deathbed and all the ghosts of who you could have been come around the deathbed and they go, hey man, we came to you. You could have brought us to life. If only you had tried to do this. You could have been this person. I want them to come around my deathbed and be like, hey man, well done. Like, you, you, you <laughs> smashed this. Like, we mm. really trying to get you early, but like, you, you, you held <laughs> off on this. I want that to be my legacy. It's like, look, I'm trying for this. Like, I want to fully send this and live my life in a way with intention, with purpose, with value. But it, but it's my life that I want to live, and like I'm not worried about dying, but I'm worried about not living. Does that make sense? That sounds yeah. a bit douchey, but like no, <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, yeah. I think that's having you know grandparents and and family, you know, witness them, been there when they passed, and and hearing regrets like moments before they leave this life is such a sad thing, you know. Yeah. And obviously, that's been playing in their head as they get closer to that, that end line. And, and, uh, I think just as you said, you want to get there and be like, all right, we did it. You know? I mean, have you guys read the book, um, top five regrets of the dying or top 10 regrets of the dying? No, no. It's interesting. Like, have you read that? No. It's a interesting book about like the main questions they say and like a life to themselves. Like I want to live my life true to myself from this moment onward. Like I want to be like, fully into what I'm doing and fully committed and passionate about it. And that's what I'm trying to do, man. Like I am, I'm fully setting this. Like I am, I'm caning the hell out of this thing. Let, let the chips fall where they may, but like I'm walking this tightrope in front of all of you. And if I fail, then so be it. But like I'll fall on my turns. I'll, tr- I'll fall trying it out. Mm. And I don't care if like you see me fall and like I don't do it. Cause like if I don't do it, I'll be that person on the deathbed being like, well, man, I should have tried being a speaker. Like, you really were into that. You were pretty passionate about it. You had some value. You got paid sometimes. Like, you could really, if you really tried, you could have made that happen. Like, I will never, I don't want to ever say that. It's like, I failed because I wasn't good enough to do it, not because I didn't try hard enough. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only, the only true failure is the failure to risk, right? Yeah. Because, and we usually, we usually don't risk because of fear. A failure and so it's like then you're you're stuck you're stuck where you are but if you're willing to risk failing you're still moving forward mm-hmm. right when we fall we typically fall forward so you yeah. know what yeah I'm on the ground but I'm, I'm a little bit further ahead I'm gonna pick myself up and dust myself off and keep failing forward until I get to where I want to go I also figure it's not a failure unless I say I'm gonna stop and, and like it's done and then I'm, I'm pretty stubborn so I'm not gonna yeah. no intention of saying that anytime soon but like it's uh Good to know, like it's not over until I, I say it's over, and yes. it's like I say it's over, and I haven't said it's over yet. It's almost a muscle that you can develop, you know, being comfortable failing, knowing that it's progressing you. If you're if you're scared of failing, hundred percent, hundred percent. The more you try, the more you fail. The more you fail, the more comfortable you get trying. The further you're gonna get in that pursuit of whatever that is. Mm-hmm. One last thing here, guys, before we close up is, is the importance of sports in my life. So I always grew up playing sports, soccer, hockey, volleyball, hockey, softball, skiing. I played a lot of team sports. I failed a lot. Sports helps you learn how to fail and to lose because when you lose, you're like, cool. I don't like that feeling. I'm going to try to avoid losing going forwards. So you learn these little things and you learn how to like safely deal with failure and loss because like you lose. And I got pretty good at winning for a point there where I'd win a lot because I had suffered a lot of failures. But like sport is so big for this because it makes you okay with the idea of failing. When you fail, it's okay, I don't want that again, so let's improve this process. Like I had a we had a few breakdowns defensively here, let's tighten that up. Like you understand and break down the game to do this. 
I miss that tremendously because I haven't been able to play team sports because of the brain injury, because of well, the the vision, the brain's pretty sensitive. I can't I can't take a knock to the head and I can't do some stuff like this. I miss that quite a lot. But the lessons that sports gave me are so helpful for this process and helped me be okay with failure because failure is not a death blow. It's just like you learning from the process. That yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, it's not yeah. even a setback. It's just adding tools to keep moving forward. Yeah, exactly. as, as long as you, like you said, you can take the lesson, you can take the opportunity to, to learn something new, to try something different that you might have not been doing before. I mean, we're both sports guys too, and I think like it teaches you to play together, it teaches you to fail, it teaches you to try again, mm-hmm. it teaches you to try new things. Um, there's there's so many takeaways, and and clearly you're you're still in, you might not be playing the sports, but you're still embodying the ethos of an of an athlete. So mm. yeah, um, I mean, like the great ones say, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, like you don't uh, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, right? Yeah. So. You know, keep taking those shots. If they go in, you know, they're not all going to go in, but uh, you got to take the shot to have a chance. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, yeah. The old, yeah, I think like, uh, what is the, it's like the old adage too, like if we're not, if you're not failing, you're, you're not growing, right? Because you're always living at that growth edge and if you're trying something new, sometimes it goes right first time out of the gate, but most times you got to try it, right? And you got to tweak it. You learn something. You always learn in your failures. So if you're not if you're not risking, you're not, if you're not failing, you're not growing, and we don't want to be stagnant. It's funny. I was listening to um, like a '90s or Y2K Spotify playlist or something like that, and that Chumbawamba song came on. Yeah, like, yeah. Get music, down. music made us. Yeah, and I was like, this is such a great song. Like it just keeps getting getting back up again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like getting pretty riled up. I was like, I gotta play this for my kids. Like, Chumbo Wumba. Yeah, Chumbo Wumba is gonna be my anthem. <laughs> Chumbo Wumba, man. Yeah. I remember that. That was like yeah, a bit knocked down, but I get up again. Ain't you never gonna keep me down, down. Yeah. I get knocked down. There you go. Well, Dina, you wanna, you wanna close this out? Yeah, yeah, Dan. So uh, thanks so much, man, for being with us, for sharing your story, uh, your, your perspective. Um, some keys to I like what you said like building your resilience locker I love that you have so many like good phrases and takeaways and things that I know will stick with me and I'll, I'll come back to in in moments of struggle and difficulty and perseverance you know chop wood carry water like just get to work do the simple thing so I really appreciate you um, uh, for, for being here for sharing with us and just like the perspective that you have is so unique and so special so thank you thank you thank you for your time um, and story and Zach and I we we uh, call this podcast a little more good it's something that we want to do and see and kind of be about in the world and we always love to ask our guests and I mean in many ways this whole conversation has been kind of on the theme of the of the name of our pod but we love to know from our guests like what is that phrase when you hear it that little sentence a little more good what does that mean to you a little more good I think Everything you do, you're trying to add a little more good into it and just, just perpetually turn up, turn up the noise, turn down the suck, but add a little more good to that. Like, better than yesterday is part of my vibe. Like, that's, that's a little more good. Turn down the suck, it's a little more good. Like, you're just making it a bit better by every step you take forward. Forward, always forward, always forward. Yeah. A little more good. Yeah, man. I think you embody it in such a beautiful way. So, I love it. Keep going. Keep going. 
Can I can I plug one or two things before we stop? Plug it, plug it, plug away. Uh, so you know, I got a website up now. McQueen Dan M A C Q U E E N Dan dot com. Uh, keynote speaker now. My demo reels on there. You can see what I can do. Some quick one liners. Some dashingly handsome vibes. <laughs> uh, it's it's all a go there, but it's on the website. You can also follow all my socials on the website as well. McQueenDan.com. Thank you guys for your time. Of course. Amazing, Thank amazing. you, Dan. Well, all right, there you go. Dan McQueen. Man, you're probably feeling uh, very inspired after hearing his story and how he learned to walk again, talk, uh, kind of got a new perspective on life. You know, his, his little uh, story about like walking through the streets, like if you can walk here, you can walk anywhere and just like putting things in perspective and shifting your shifting your mindset to focus on the positive and what you can achieve. Yeah, so good. I loved it. Grateful for Dan, yeah. for the path that he's walking and leading and and really, you know, showing that you can overcome your obstacles by reframing them, mm-hmm. keeping things, you know, when it's not easy, finding finding a simple path so that it doesn't have to be harder than it needs to be. Just so inspired by what he is creating, the the wake that uh, that he's creating mm-hmm. through the path that he leads. So yeah, big, big ups, big gratitude to Dan. Big thanks to everybody that tuned into this episode and has made it to this conclusive part of the show. Uh, we're grateful for all of you showing up and tuning in to, to what we have to share. If you did enjoy this episode, we are so grateful for any reviews or shares on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you tune in. Reviews and feedback like that helps us share the goodness in more ways than one. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Until next time, stay good, y'all. Peace.